There's one thing we need to get out of the way today. For the first time in American history, a president has been impeached twice. The president remains belligerent, refusing to accept his responsibility in the attempted coup of our government. Political scientists have a name for it. It's called a self-coup or auto-coup, when the ruling class or party or group wants to hold on to power no matter what. Our law enforcement agencies are arresting and preparing charges for many of the people who were a part of this disdainful act. And yet, amidst this, party lines remain mostly intact. Many on the right want to talk about unity without accountability. As Unitarian Universalists, our response is that of a religious community. And so we continue to say democracy is our way. And democracy must be protected. And those who would subvert democracy, no matter where they are, must be held accountable. Now, cherishing democracy in our faith is not just about you voting on me as your minister as you did six years ago. It's not just about approving the budget. It's not about your choice as a congregation to join BUILD. It's so much bigger than that. It's about recognizing that in Kentucky's own 6th district, democracy chose a candidate that not many Unitarian Universalists approve of. Nonetheless, we honor the choice because our elected leaders have a sacred responsibility. One I believe many of them forget. To advocate for the people, not themselves. So whether it's the 6th district, the governor, the senate, or the president, or the Fayette County coroner, we cherish democracy because we also affirm the mutuality and accountability of it. That is where our work resides as a religious community. Have you written a letter or called Representative Andy Barr lately? How about Mayor Linda Gordon, Senator McConnell? It's said often, but it's so true. Democracy is not a spectator sport. Mutuality and accountability require us to be involved. But also today, like many of you, I'm still in mourning, for I fear accountability has been lost to many of those in power. But I'm not going to give up. That is our call, all of us, to accountability. And so may we never forget. I'm thinking back to over eight years ago now when I was serving a congregation right next to Chicago. There was a street two blocks over from where the congregation was where it was night and day as far as the neighborhoods were concerned. One side being a relatively up-and-coming first-ring suburb, the other side the west side of the city. The west side of Chicago gets a terrible reputation. It often competes with the south side for most homicides. It has rampant poverty, the ills of gentrification in certain pockets, blight food deserts. If we're being honest, though, so many places in my hometown, suburban or otherwise, have those same problems. But the west side also has a long beautiful history of jazz, blues, and soul food, and so much more. Much of which you can still find in the neighborhoods that the tourists avoid. The congregation I was serving had embarked on a, a great adventure. It wasn't grand in design. The process and steps involved were really simple. And it began with a conversation, one-on-one. -on -one. Dozens of people in the community found time to get together and, well, talk. But not chit-chat back and forth. No, this was deep listening. And you might wonder, well, what is deep listening, right? Some of you know this if you're a part of one of our small groups here at UUCL. And here's a quick example of deep listening. Let's say you and I sit down to check in. The prompt 
need not be elaborate. It can just be, hey, Brian, why is justice important to you here at UUCL? And of course, I'll inevitably answer. In deep listening, there are no interruptions. You withhold as much as you can as the listener. You try not to nod too much or grimace or cringe or make sound, mm-hmm, ah, ah, I see. You just give your full presence to the person speaking. And when I'm done, we both rest in silence. Sure, there might be several little darlings of commentary waiting to burst into the space, but no. We let the check-in, the answer, whatever I shared, just rest. And then it's your turn. And we sit in silence once more. This is a practice I've experienced in seminary and the first congregation I served, in every UU retreat or workshop I've been a part of in Concord, Massachusetts, and increasingly here in this community. To be given space to just share without the intrusion of someone's comments can be a powerful thing especially when we're reflecting on justice or community or even how it is with your spirit. And you really get to know someone, you really do. And so this congregation I was serving was listening to one another. They were doing this because they had just joined a grassroots community organizing initiative in Chicago, part of an organization called Community Renewal Society that emphasized deep listening, what they called relational organizing as its cornerstone. Community Renewal Society is a network of dozens of congregations throughout Chicago from all walks of life. It's interfaith, though it wasn't always so, and it's proudly multicultural. Here we were, Unitarian Universalists, deeply listening to one another and finding that center for our love of justice, individually and as a community. Because we knew we would be joining with a mostly Christian organization. We knew there would be disagreements. We knew we needed to reinforce our spiritual maturity. When you're spiritually mature, it doesn't matter if someone prays in Jesus's name. You can pray or meditate right alongside, substituting whatever works for you, honoring what is being said, and affirming the good before you while not feeling threatened. That's spiritual maturity, part of it. And so we joined together. Our members found themselves singing good old Baptist hymns in the Capitol Rotunda in Springfield, Illinois. Was it a challenge? Yeah, it was. Were the Baptist hymns consequential? Not in the least. What was consequential were the busloads of Unitarian Universalists and those from Christian churches singing protest songs the four-hour drive to Springfield. We sang Unitarian Universalist hymns too, Christian hymns, and we listened to one another. I learned why the student pastor at a black Baptist church in the Austin neighborhood of Chicago was going to Springfield and what it meant for him. He learned what it meant to me and relationships formed. Busloads of black, white, gay, straight, trans, Latinx, mostly progressive, some conservative, rich and poor. Busloads uniting behind common issues that impact the marginalized in our midst. And when we arrived, we'd pray, meditate, whatever in the rotunda. And off we went paired up with others to go lobby our lawmakers. Now, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but in those lobbying days, I found I was really good at lobbying conservative lawmakers. I had far more trouble with moderate progressives. But beyond that, we went, we were heard, and we sang the entire ride back. 
But here's the most beautiful thing that happened out of those experiences. Though that one instance, the drive for us going down to Springfield was over the egregious amount of time someone could be held without charges in an Illinois jail. That's what we were lobbying about. And a not-so-fun fact, the average was 25 days in a Cook County jail without charges. What happened afterwards, after that lobbying, was astounding. This was around the same time marriage equality was being voted on in the Illinois legislature. And so, naturally, the Unitarian Universalists in the Chicago area organized busloads of their members to go down to lobby, speak, and advocate for LGBTQ rights. But here's what happened. People joined us from that congregational network. Pastors and members from churches where the official doctrine still emphasized marriage between one man and one woman. But their hearts and minds were opened. Why? Because of intentional, meaningful relationships. Not all of them joined us, but still many did. I will, I will never forget that. Because it highlighted the power of one-to-one relationships. It emphasized that in a world of deep divisions, we cannot circle the wagons or cast off for an isolated island in the ocean or pretend we're an oasis in a desert. Relationships are hard work, but the rewards are a glory to to behold. Since that time, I've seen the power of relationships and justice. I've seen it in the Poor People's Campaign, and and let me tell you, it didn't matter in the slightest if I was a non-theistic, gay, Unitarian Universalist, and the person next to me was a devout, conservative Baptist who was straight and believed in the inerrancy of the Bible, when you're surrounded by Capitol Police with assault rifles in the Kentucky Capitol. And let me just point this out, just because this is the world we live in right now. There is a difference between demanding redress from the powers that be that are ignoring the people and an attempted overthrow, an attempted coup. And I hope that much is evident, and if not, we really need to talk. But as we were hunkered down, rationing our water so we didn't have to use the washroom because they would arrest us if we tried to, the lines and divisions disappeared between us. It wasn't really about unity, the unity you hear from lawmakers right now. No, it was, it was about relationship. The conservatives with us were still conservative when we all went home. I was still a Democrat and a non-theist when I went home. But we connected over our shared passions for the movement we are a part of. A true and lasting movement laughs at petty divisions and spiritual or moral immaturity. A true and lasting movement invites people into relationship, into discovering the human center of our shared pursuits. And so this weekend, this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, I think of those experiences. I think of the continuance of the Poor People's Campaign initiated by Dr. King and so many other leaders that were a part of that movement. And I also think of the work this congregation has done and will do. Now, Dr. King had something to say about people and movements that work. In a lesser-known sermon he gave at Ebenezer Baptist Church two months before he was murdered, Dr. King talked about what he called the drum major instinct. And he wrote about this instinct. He wrote, And that is deep down within all of us, an instinct. It's a kind of drum major instinct, a desire to be out front, 
a desire to lead the parade, a desire to be first. There comes a time that the drum major instinct can become destructive. And that's where I want to move now. I want to move to the point of saying that if this instinct is not harnessed, it becomes a very dangerous, pernicious instinct. For instance, if it isn't harnessed, it causes one's personality to become distorted. I guess that's the most damaging aspect of it, what it does to the personality. If it isn't harnessed, you will end up day in and day out trying to deal with your ego problem by boasting. Have you ever heard people that, you know, and I'm sure you've met them, that really become sickening because they just sit up all the time talking about themselves. And they just boast and boast and boast. And that's a person who has not harnessed the drum major instinct. Dr. King would later dig into the fact that many of us are joiners because of the drum major instinct. We join anything and everything. We want to be carved out as special. We want the attention. I'm guilty of this too. But when that instinct, which sounds like a strong human drive, and King would go on to say it's something that's a part of all of us, when it is harnessed for the good and the right, it becomes about the movement, not the individual. In churches such as ours, it becomes about the entire community, all 300 members and the over 200 friends we have, or 300 or 400 friends. It depends on what list you look at. Gone are the little complaints, and instead, there's a growing, often tangly, beautiful mess of concern and compassion for the entire community. And if you ever needed a description of just what ministry is, not just mine, but all of ours, it's about the rampant, tangly, beautiful mess of concern and compassion for this entire community. Now, right now, I imagine our Seven Acres friends are imagining all the nightmares they're going to have about honeysuckle tonight. So King used this drum major instinct to describe a biblical story, and it's one you might be familiar of. When the apostles James and John ask Jesus if they will sit beside him in glory, and here's how King describes Jesus' reply. He did something altogether different. He, he said in substance, Oh, I see. You want to be first? You want to be great? You want to be important? You want to be significant? Well, you ought to be. If you're going to be my disciple, you must be. But he reordered priorities. And he said, yes, don't give up this instinct. It's a good instinct if you use it right. Yes. It's a good instinct if you don't distort it and pervert it. Don't give it up. Keep feeling the need for being important. Keep feeling the need for being first. But I want you to be first in love. I want you to be first in moral excellence. I want you to be first in generosity. That is what I want you to do. 
he transformed the situation by giving a new definition of greatness. And you know how he said it? He said, now, brethren, I can't give you greatness. And really, I can't make you first. This is what Jesus said to James and John. You must earn it. True greatness comes not by favoritism, but by fitness. And the right hand and the left are not mine to give. They belong to those who are prepared. And so Jesus gave us a new norm of greatness. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. And there it is for, for all of us. Unitarian Universalists are wonderful people, and I say that and mean it. If I didn't mean it, I have no business being a minister. Though sometimes we get wrapped up in the details. And as our Commission on Institutional Change exhorted us, we need to let go of the details and get busy with the business of healing and spiritual maturity and form relationships of accountability and common vision. What that means is that we won't be the drum majors. We won't be at the head of the pack always. That was never our calling. Though in much of our history, it's been what's happened or at least what we believed to be the case. But the seduction of exceptionalism does not lead to the beloved community. Being first in love and moral excellence, which for us means our principles in the world and our covenants of right relationship, being first in generosity, that is greatness. Here at UUCL, you've decided to be a part of BUILD which stands for Building a United Interfaith Lexington Through Direct Action. And if I'm being honest, I at once celebrate that decision, but I also wonder if we are ready. Do we have the spiritual readiness to be in relationship with Christians who might believe differently than us? That was a hallmark of Dr. King's movement, reaching across the divide to partner, even if there were sharp disagreements with others. And that is the success of any movement it's in that intentionality that hearts and minds are opened. And so I'll be here to support you as you all chart your course into build. The power of deep listening demands of us a readiness that we might need some time to work on. Many of you might be ready to go, and that's great. And yet others of us still need time or we need safety. And I hear you with that. I affirm you where you are. It's unfair to ask anyone of a marginalized identity to rush into anything. And what this congregation is doing is so much more than build. That's one piece of it. We were among the first 20 congregations to adopt the eighth principle. We are engaging a multi-year congregation-wide sustainability initiative that could transform our seven acres, not just for us, and not just into a green hub for now, but for generations to come. And people have taken notice of the mountains of green initiatives we've already done. 
We've marched, we've prayed, we've joined the NAACP. We've had a grassroots racial justice collaborative come together here in this community. We're wading into renewing our welcoming of LGBTQ persons. We're wading into what it means to be a Unitarian Universalist congregation in Kentucky in 2021. And most importantly, it's not just about I or you. It's about all of us and those who are yet to come. I've only listed a few things, but those few things are a lifetime's work that we are engaging. And I hope you see that and I hope you celebrate that because there is so much good work that we are doing and we need to center that and lift that up. And while we may not be called to be drum majors that only shine a light on ourselves, we are called to shine a light on this entire community and the broader community. Our faith calls us to live our principles in the world, not just on our seven acres. It might be slow work, hard work, challenging work. The beloved community called for in our eighth principle has no promise of being easy. And yet we are called to go forward together, always. And so may you find time to celebrate this weekend as many African-American communities are across our nation, recognizing that amidst that celebration, there is always that deeper call to the beloved community. Blessed be. Amen.